Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on our couch. I don't think it's fucking warm enough for flip flops, but this <laughs> this guy's in fucking sandals. In Canada, the minute hey. the minute that we get like a, a sniff of spring, flip flops come out, shorts come out. So were you in shorts yesterday? Because yesterday I was kind of shorts on yesterday, <laughs> and I've got flops on today. Man. I'm hoping this is where we are. You're one of those, eh? This I really most... don't want to burst your bubble, but <laughs> next week we're supposed I to get know. a winter storm. <laughs> it's all about hope. It's so weird. It's so, I, I don't know, man. I, I, March this... in Canada is ridiculous. Because you don't know how to dress. Everyone dresses so weird. Like you walk down the street and someone's in a parka. Someone else is running around in shorts and flip flops. This Absolutely. other person's like in the spring clothes. Like I have yeah. no idea what's happening. It's actually really confusing getting my kids dressed to go out in the morning because I want them to be warm in the morning for like morning recess. But then I know by the afternoon they're going to be sweating. And with the small kids, whatever the parents send them in, the teachers kind of tell them to put on. So I, you know, I have, I think my oldest daughter has six different jackets. It's like for every it's possible of, temperature it's a lot of jackets, <laughs> Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. My guys are older. I have, both my kids are nurses and they're older, so I don't have to deal with the jacket thing. But we were snowshoeing where I'm, I'm just north of here. We were snowshoeing two days ago. Amazing. And 48 hours later. And now you're in flip-flops. Like, I'm in flip-flops. This is exactly <laughs> how I wanted to work this. I feel like this is what it's like living in Alberta. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could because be. Because don't they have fucking crazy weather? Isn't it like in the middle of summer, they'll get snow and shit? Imagine yeah. that. You go in to see a movie. I go in to see Ocean's Eleven, and I'm in jeans and, and runners and a t-shirt, and I come out, and it's a fucking blizzard. Is that how long it's been since you've seen a movie that Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven, Eleven was in theater? <laughs> I was, I don't know. I was That's thinking, a while ago. I was thinking about, um, um, what's his name the other day? What's that dude's name? Brad man? Pitt? No, not Brad Pitt. The other guy. George Clooney? George, George Clooney, yeah. Because I started thinking, because you're of the age to remember the sitcom ER. You don't even know. There was a sitcom ER and he was a doctor on it. Well, I mean, I know that. I was young, but, you but I was alive. Have you seen it? <laughs> yes, I'm gonna go I look, I'm going to go look it up. I don't remember it The much. scary part is I'm the same age as George Clooney, so. That's not a, that's not a scary thing. 56 is a. This is a good age. Yeah, man. Yeah. These days, like, I don't think age, matters age no, much age doesn't matter at all. The, the client that I was treating earlier today, she's 60, but that woman could outrun me any day of the week. Age doesn't like, matter. Like, outrun you? Like, literally outrun you? Yeah, like, literally. Like, if you get on the blocks, she'll, <laughs> she's got you beat. She's fit. She's got a fucking crazy A march. She's fit. <laughs> I'd be huffing and puffing like 50 meters in and she's flying. Is that, is that what you're like too? Snowshoe? No. I mean, this no, is your I new said, name, you know Snowshoe. What? For me, snowshoeing has been the best thing. So I've lived in a weight room and this year, I had a horrible injury last year and I had to shift gears. I had a horrible injury. I broke my ankle and ruptured the quadriceps on my right knee. So I was in two casts. Oh, so yeah. I shift gears this year. And uh, I'm I'm, sorry. I, went, I snowshoed every day. I have literally become obsessed with it. It's the best functional fitness I've ever invested in. And now the beauty is everyone around us is doing it. My mother-in-law, 87, snowshoes basically daily now. Okay, before we introduce everybody, have you ever been snowshoeing? No, and I have no desire to go snowshoeing. Oh, it's I, I don't so like anything fun. to do with the fucking cold. I don't like anything to do with the snow. Snowshoeing is actually really fun. Uh, there's only a couple of pairs of shoes that I like. <laughs> Doc Martens are one of them, and that's about it. Oh, and now your new canvas shoes. We spent yeah. an hour and a half last night looking for the perfect canvas 
loafers for this guy. Oh, you got hemp. the hemp ones. Yeah. yeah, he was. He's lately obsessed with these canvas shoes because they're so comfy. So, <laughs> yeah. Plus, they 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 just make you look lazy, and I'm okay with that. You want to look lazy. <laughs> I want to look lazy. That way, no one's ever going to ask me to fucking do anything. If you oh, lived in Lindsay, you would snowshoe. I'm I'm two hours north. Yeah, and it's a different world. I mean, the winter is completely different. It's a much different. It's experience. true. We're city people. We drive everywhere. But I feel like <laughs> if we lived in some a place like Lindsay, snowshoeing might be a thing. Yeah, maybe it would be. Well, let's introduce everyone. So, hey, everyone, it's Amanda, and we've got Brad sitting on our couch, and he is almost head to toe in rock tape gear because he does work for Rock Tape. I do. Um, if you've never heard of it, it's he'll like let us know a little bit more about it when he introduces himself. He's also an exercise physiologist and soon to be registered massage therapist. And once again, I always say how much I. love love this career. I love the fact that somebody who is 56 can say, you know, I'm going to do this too. That's, I, I feel like that's a thing in this, in this profession. A lot of people get into it as a second or third career and start doing it a little bit later because you realize how important it is to take care of your body. And snowshoeing is one of the ways we're going to do it Absolutely. now. <laughs> so, crazy. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm telling you, I haven't been snowshoeing since I was really young, but it was a lot of fun. Um, I used to do that and cross-country skiing, and that was fun, too. All right. Well, for anyone listening, Brad, can you introduce yourself a little bit about how you got into Absolutely. this field and where you're headed and a little bit about rock tape, because you actually have a lot of rock tape do. gear on yeah, right now. We live head to toe. We have to toe. rock tape gear head to toe. So my path has been uh, kind of a crazy one. Uh, I started, I was on the Canadian bobsled team and on the Canadian track and field team in the 80s. So after the 88 games, I left the sport and I decided I wanted to kind of immerse myself in the human performance side of things. Cool. So from that point forward, I have been working with high performance athletes since I was 23, 24. Nice. NHL players, CFL players, I've been training everybody. So I was really lucky because I got drawn into a, a real consortium of guys that uh, I worked with Charles Poliquin for years. Charles was a renowned strength coach and he was really a mentor. So there's about 10 of us that came out of this group of high performance athletes and we ended up under his tutelage. Nice. So I've been doing soft tissue work and ART and all these hybrids for 30 years. And I, it kind of just was an organic shift for me. I did my graduate work in biomechanics. I'm a kinesiologist. I've done all of those things, fascial stretch, acupuncture, you name it. Mm -hmm. I've kind of been there and done that. And the big shift for me was things just organically started to shift from purely a training environment to more of a clinical setting. And so that just was an opportunity in the last two years to go back and take all of this stuff that I already have and put it under one umbrella, that being as an RMT. So it's really just going to formalize my practice a bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it's been an awesome experience because the fact is it's really just opened my eyes to what I could do on top of all the other skills that I have right. to really build something a, a little bit more unique. So why RMT versus any other designation? I think for me, it really just melded perfectly with all the skills I already had. It was really just an opportunity to take it and just formalize it under one umbrella. Yep. So uh, I went back two years ago and I work with a ton of uh, guys that I worked with, with Charles, who are all now RMTs. So we've all made that shift, mm. which again, Clark Flynn, Danny Laramie are all just elite soft tissue guys. And that's really where we are as a consortium of guys. Now we all do soft tissue work and layer it in around all of our other training strategies, all of our other clinical strategies. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a perfect fit. It makes so much sense. And school must've been so easy for you. <laughs> Did it sound like that? 
It was different. I mean, it still was, I still had to learn a lot of the basics because I, again, I came out of a very high performance environment and we learned RRT, uh, ART with Charles over those years. And it was just kind of hybrid stuff. It right, just right. went and went. And so I, and I work very closely um, with Mark Scapatici here in Toronto and Scap's an amazing chiropractor. I've done all his myomatrix release, which is kind of a hybrid of ART. So I've been exposed to all of it. This was taking a step back and figuring how I could kind of layer it in under the constraints they gave me. And it's it's been a great opportunity because I've learned a ton, mm-hmm. but I've also learned more about how to kind of tailor my treatments. Because before it was just like, go in as hard as you can and do everything and anything as quickly as you can. Right. And I've it's really forced me to take a step back because I've had to reevaluate how I treated because I came out of an environment where it was more, more, more all the time, more crap, more reps, more everything. Yeah. And I would, and so I always get asked this question in my courses, what's changed over the last 30 years? I've been doing this for 30 years. Honestly, I've been, be, I've just been a lot, become a lot better at taking a step back and doing just what I need to do to get a result. Mm. And that's been a big shift for me because we used to just throw shit at everybody. I feel like that's a, that's a general shift from, from all of this stuff is let's kill doing everything fucking possible all at one shot and let's roll it out a little differently. Mm-hmm. A little bit more patience with the whole thing. And, and that's been a product, that's really a, an extension of Rock Tape though too. We as a company, we really focus on that moniker, less is more. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do a ton of stuff to really get an effect. We use this analogy all the time. A small hinge opens a really big door. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the fact is we can do some really subtle things. This fascial system is amazing. And I'm a fascial nerd, so this has become everything for me. So it really aligns with how my treatments changed. It's much more subtle. I used to do ART and go in and people would get up and they'd be in pain and it'd be very painful. I think, wow, great job. That wasn't a great job in any way, shape or form. (laughs) That was bullshit. It was the worst possible scenario. But again, we've learned a lot more about the subtleties of the system, both the fascial system and the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the shift for me. And that's been a shift not only because of what I've experienced in the massage therapy piece now, mm-hmm. but but really an extension of rock tape, because that's really what we believe in. The idea that we can use these small tools and small interventions to make massive changes. Do you think that's a shift that should happen with all therapists right across the board? I, I, I think it should happen with personal trainers. It should happen with everybody because the more we understand about what's going on internally and the more we understand about how subtle these systems are, we can make some big changes without having to force all of this crap at somebody, throw more reps at them, mm-hmm. more exercises. I've even become better in, in the biomechanics, kinesiology piece of that puzzle, prescribing exercise. We, and you know, we would default to this. We would give people, well, if I gave them three exercises, 10 will be better. Mm-hmm. More stuff, more stuff. And the fact of the matter is now, I, if I can find two exercises that they can successfully complete and do it safely and they do it without any threat, I'm going to win every single time when I give them an exercise strategy. Mm -hmm. I think that is a shift that's happening with a lot of people anyway. I think more people are going back to basics. And I mean, myself, I've been in, I've been in practice for 10 years and I actually was just saying this, I was treating another RMT yesterday. She's had some, some major surgeries in the last year or so. So, you know, we were working a little bit on scar tissue and stuff. And I said something along the lines of, of, you know, well, I'm going to be doing this really slowly and really gently. And she said, well, that's how I practice. So I appreciate that. You know, I wasn't, going in trying to, you know, restore full range of motion in one treatment and destroy her, right? And it was very slow and very gentle. But, you know, she came in with this and, you know, nobody can see me right now, but, you know, I'm um, abducting my shoulder and not getting very much range. And she left 
with this. So we did something. It was slow. It was gentle. I wasn't killing her. And I said, you know, early in my practice, I did think that I had to be, you know, this deep tissue and do all of this crap. And, you know, you... I think that coming from the personal training world too, I had that no pain, no gain mentality. And finally, after you know practicing for so long, I realized this actually doesn't have to be like this. It, nothing has to be so uncomfortable. Nothing has to be so aggressive. And like you said, I don't have to do 7 million different things with a person on the table. A couple of different, you know, mobilizations or something. I'm like, oh, look what that did. So cool. what's, 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 your, what's your advice then? Not advice, but what is from the experience piece that you would have to say to the therapist who still now takes pride in I'm so deep, everyone leaves and they cry on my table, that type of thing. Well, what, what, what do I you think say to there's, them? I also think there's still space for that therapist. Yes, and there's going to be people. There's going to be people who maybe don't agree, but because there are people out there who feel who, like it's who say. I want deep, you know, I have clients who say, I want deep pressure. I feel like if I don't feel it the next day, you didn't do anything. And I try to have a discussion with them, you know, and maybe change their mindset yep. a little bit. But if that's what somebody wants, they want you to stick their, your elbow in their, in their back, then that's what they want. You can, as the therapist, tell them this isn't necessarily what your body needs. But if that's what they want, that's what they want. So I think there's still space for the mm -hmm. super aggressive therapist. I don't understand that pride piece. I have to be honest the with wearing you. It like, it's like a yeah, badge the, of honor. you know the clients or the therapists who are like, oh, all of my cr uh, clients say that they're crying when when they I get uh, when they get treatment for me. I'm like, well, is that a good thing? Yeah, and and I think there's a time and a place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I have I deal with the full spectrum. If I had to treat my mother-in-law who's 87 for a knee injury, I'm going to go in pretty soft. She's not going to respond to that ultra aggressive input. Whereas I work with Rugby Canada, I work with a ton of guys from the rugby team, and these guys are massive. And they're going to expect for the idea that I'm going to go in there with a little more force, mm -hmm. be a little more aggressive. My biggest shift is I'm attuned to it with everyone. I know that I probably have to take a step back and I'm not as quick to go in and right. throw everything and anything at them right, right away. I think that's the biggest mistake I made in the training piece. I was a strength coach. So I was a strength coach at East Tennessee State for years and I did the biomechanics piece. And so everything was mechanical and more stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, my biggest shift is I become a fascial nerd and a neurology nerd because I think those two components of, of how we treat mm -hmm. drive, should drive everything. Where did the nerdness come from? So rock tape. I'm going to tell you that we have a core of guys, Mark, that are quite simply, some of the top people, Perry Nicholson, Steve Capobianco, we have a real consortium of guys, a real brain trust, and they have built, and, and again, I always go back to this, as much as it's about tape and all these tools, if, if you understand our philosophy, mm -hmm. it really drives kind of everything we talk about with regards to taping. It's a subtle intervention. We have the ability to make significant change with a small amount of input. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that my association with Rock Tape over the last eight years working with these amazing therapists has really made me more of a nerd with regards to both fascia and the neurology of the system. Are we nerds or are we the cool kids? Just a question. I don't know. <laughs> is it that cool to be I think it's like cool to be a nerd. Fascia think, and neurology. I think it I think is it cool be. to understand the fascial system. I think it is cool to understand neurology because 
you know, I, I was just having a conversation with a client about um, the the person in my family who's considered the smart one. He's smart in business. The person in her family who's considered the smart one, like I'm talking siblings, he's in business. And she said, I don't get it, though. I feel like science is way harder. I'm like, exactly. We are sm- <laughs> sorry, business people. <laughs> um, I think it is cool to understand your body. I feel like, yeah, I sure, you, you smart guys who understand business and who understand finance, okay, that's good. But at the end of the day, I know how to take care of the one thing that you need for anything else to matter. Ooh, so I feel like we're the cool kids. <laughs> I'll take it. I think we are the cool kids. We are the cool kids. Absolutely. Before we get into anything else, for yeah. anybody who's never heard of rock tape, which I think you'd have to be living under a rock to have never heard of rock tape, but Ooh, I think there. so. But yeah? can you give a little bit of background about the company and what you guys do and the whole philosophy? Because you've mentioned that a couple times. For sure. So rock tape was started in California. It was about 10 years ago. Uh, and a number of chiropractors and a businessman started the company. Steve Capobianco, who is currently kind of in charge of a lot of what we do, is one of the original guys. He came into Canada and I was inquiring about tape. I showed up at the first course and he asked me to teach and the rest is history. I've been with him for almost eight years and I had been teaching with SCAP and some other people and for Charles Poliquin for years. So we all kind of knew the same people. Mm-hmm. We all kind of had this internal kind of communication leading in. And so over the course of the last eight years, we have really kind of just matured as a company. It started off with tape and we would do courses and teach people how to put tape on. It's really shifted to more of a global approach to taping. So we do a lot of fascial chain taping and we can talk about that. I think it's just a a neat kind of perspective on taping. And then what's happened over the last eight years is we've went from what was a tape company to really a movement company. And that's Mm. how we would describe ourselves. And so now we have all of these other tools that we've started to layer into our delivery. We have tape, we've we've got rock pods, which are a cupping strategy, a very dynamic cupping strategy that we use. Mm-hmm. We're using floss, rock floss and compression bands. And I teach an entire course, a six hour course on each of those. We have instrument assisted tools that mm-hmm. we work with. And so now we've completed the circle because the last piece that we just launched in the last year is a portion of our course delivery, which is the movement science part. So now we do all this great treatment and now we show you through this course how we layer in movement strategies to really make the treatment stick. Mm -hmm. So that's been the premise behind what we did. And I love it because we have just matured as a company. I wonder if there's any regret a little bit by having the company called Rock Tape still. I wonder if they sit around the boardroom and go, fuck, I wish we were a little bit more mindful of the the areas in which we might move this whole thing. I don't think so. I'm going to tell you that Rock Tape as a brand is so easy to deliver Mm. because the fact is I've been in airports. I travel all the time for Rock Tape and teach. I had a guy in an airport one time just ask me, would you want to change shirts? I had a Rock Tape shirt on. He was just a businessman. He'd use Rock Tape in a clinic and he saw my shirt and he's like, can you just change shirts? Dude, seriously. (laughs) What kind of of deodorant do you wear first of all? (laughs) But the reality is the brand has some leverage. I mean, when you go anywhere, they really connect it to something more than just tape. Mm -hmm. We're really a high performance company and we deal with a lot of high performance athletes, but because people have been exposed to it and they've had an effect, it's had a great effect on their outcome. 
treatment or training, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. they they really assign something unique to the brand. So I the idea that it's still rock tape, I love that. Nice. Yeah, you I know think what? it makes this a difference. Is, this is where I'll say, okay, business people, you're kind of cool too, because oh, rock tape cool. did it fucking right. They with did. The branding. 100%. Like, like I said, you'd have to be living under a rock to not know this company. Like the branding is on point. Everybody knows who you guys are and, you know, and knows that it is a high performance company. And we've talked to a number of people who, you know, have had nothing but great things to say about rock tape and the courses Mm -hmm. and everything they've learned from it. We get great feedback. I just taught on the weekend and we always get wonderful feedback. Now I work, we have a team in Canada, uh, Cairo's um, uh, physiotherapists, they know who they are. And the fact is we have a group here that has really kind of changed the landscape a bit. I always argue this. It could have been easy. It would have been easy just to launch a tape and make some money off tape. Yep. But mm-hmm. that's not what we did. We, and I would argue we as a group and all of our instructors, we've created a culture. And it's a culture around movement optimization. We look at it this way. We just use our tools as a as a way to get there. They're, ex- they're exactly that. They're tools. Yeah. And th- so it's just part of your toolbox. And, and when I lecture at the massage therapy conference, I always get this, how does this apply to me? I was looking at it this way. If I do all this great work with my hands and I get all these wonderful results, I always look at rock tape and a lot of our tools as a way just to reinforce some of the effects that I've established. And then what's the goal? It's always a window of opportunity at the end of my treatment, whether it's rock tape or massage therapy. Do I have a window of opportunity to optimize movement? Because yeah. we know if someone moves better, yep. they're going to feel better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how I layer in rock tape. I look at it as a strategy to kind of reinforce a lot of the change that we make. And then as I reinforce it over time, I simply layer in great exercise. I think that trifecta is critical to success in this mm-hmm. environment. So that's really what we've done. We've created a really cool culture with the company and I love it. That is really cool. Clearly because I have everything on that's rock tape. <laughs> yeah. Even even the flip flops, by flip the way, flops. they uh, March flip flops. They're rock tape flip flops. Absolutely, <laughs> I think the business people won that. You're right. <laughs> yeah, the business people did it right. Yeah, branding is such an important piece. We just we were talking about this the other night because it finally hit. It, 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 it's like I had I had an awakening on what the hell we do here. Right. And I just when he means what the hell we do, what him and I do for work, because every so often we're laying in bed and we look at each other and we're like, do we have real jobs? Do we have jobs? Like we have a very strange. (laughs) It's really strange because as I'm lying in bed, creating a video to post on Instagram, she looks at me. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working. And then it hit me like I'm working, posting on Instagram. Like this is kind of laying in bed, making making a video. (laughs) And then it finally hit me like and I feel comfortable now defining what I do. We have a brand. And my job is to make sure that that brand message goes out. That's it. That brand has courses. That brand has the podcast. That brand has this. That brand has that. And my job is simply to make sure that the branding message goes out Mm -hmm. and is received. But that's what work should be like. I taught last weekend and I got up on Saturday and it's a two-day course. And I was saying to Mark, it's crazy uh, over two days. It's a you've got to expend a lot of resources. Yeah, you've got thirty people on Zoom, and you really have to be prepared. And I'm always really prepared, but I can tell you, at the end of the two days, I'm exhausted because it's you are just talking exhausting. and moving. Yeah, and Zoom, I argue, is probably not my best delivery. I'm much better in front of a live audience, but that's our reality. 
And so I, my wife said, oh, you've, you got to work this weekend. And I looked at her and said, honestly, if you think this is work, <laughs> I get to sit in front of a computer with 30 people who are engaged. And talk about I things get, that I know. And I love. I'm so <laughs> yeah. passionate about it. So I said to her, look, if this is the definition for work for me, mm -hmm. I'm in. Yeah. This is exactly what I want to be doing. And so I'm kind of in the same boat. I really have this awesome... Uh, lane that I get to be in. I get to talk about the stuff I love to talk about. And it really just builds on everything I've been doing for the last 30 years. So nice. I really am just engaged by the whole process. I love it. Let me ask you a question about doing the Zoom classes because yeah? we do them too. And, and <laughs> it's so weird for me. Like we, we might have a class that is eight hours that takes place in person. And in that eight hours, there's demonstrations, there's practical time for the participants to practice doing stuff on each other. But then I take that same thing to Zoom and there is no practical component for someone to do stuff. There's still demonstrations and there's video that go along with it, but the time spent is the fucking identical. And I'm like, I've removed the whole component of you guys doing stuff, but I'm still spending the same amount of time and I can't figure out why, how is and this happening? And we take less breaks when we, when we do it Way over Zoom. Way less breaks. But we never, never finish early. Yeah. See, so why? Zoom is the same for us. And I taught last week and we finished right at five o'clock. Yeah. yeah. But I think you get, when you're on Zoom, I think you just get better at creating your own conversation. Mm. At, I have. Because I agree we were just talking about this. I mean, look, putting rock tape on someone and talking about fashion, talking about movement, it, there's nothing more tactile. There's nothing more driven by, better driven by live experience. Mm -hmm. The fact that we've had to make this shift to this COVID model with Zoom it is what it is. Is it the same? No. Have I, I, I can't speak for you guys, but I know at Rock Tape, we've done a very, very good job at creating really just great delivery around the Zoom platform mm -hmm. and all of our instructors have adapted really well. So again, look, I'm not going to say that it's exactly what I would hope to deliver in a live course, but I think we've gotten as close as we yeah, possibly yeah. could get with with what we've done in this delivery. And again, we've got pretty adaptable people and pretty high level instructors. So mm -hmm. we can, you know, I've had to adapt. I've had to I'm not that I have ever have a problem talking, but I have to talk a lot more and I have to find those opportunities to just build on something that I'd be taking a break to do demos and stuff. Yeah. So we just, I think we've adapted pretty well. All of us, you guys, mm -hmm. I'm sure have adapted and it's going to, I'm looking forward to live courses. I have to say, I just got a text or a, uh, an email from one of our instructors in the U.S. and it's suggesting that the U.S. is going back to live. Mm. Hopefully that happens for us soon because that's really... Oh, I hope so. That's the lane I want to be in. I mean, I cannot wait to get back in front of a live audience. You know what's really interesting, though? Because the guys from the Canadian RMT conference, they I guess they're trying to get a feel for their conference in September. Is it possible for them to do live? They're also going to do it online regardless. I believe they're thinking about doing a component of it that's going to be live. Yeah. And they threw out a, a couple polls and different Facebook groups like would you attend this conference live and it's really interesting to see in different groups the reactions in one group the majority of people are like absolutely I'll be there and in another group they're like nope the majority of people are like forget it I'm I'm not attending anything live really yes it's so all over the map wow, it's, it's I, really really I'm interesting I'm not surprised to me. by that though because it's even with people I interact with day to day I have some clients who come in here double masked and only come in because they're absolutely desperate and otherwise, you know, this isn't essential and they're afraid yeah. to be out. Yeah. And then I have some clients who, you know, when I'm like, oh, just give me a second, I'm just finishing disinfecting and they're touching stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 like I, you can't come in yet. <laughs> like some people are so laid back. The, the most interesting part to me was when the polls were dropped in groups that were centered around education, 
the massive numbers of people that were like, yes, I want to attend live. I want to attend live. I, I think I think that's what we're going to see. And then the I groups, the the key, groups that were key. not like centered around education, they're mostly, you know, a geographical kind of group. And then they were like, no, no, yeah. no, thank you. No, thank you. I hope it's live. I mean, I've been at that massage conference for years. I've spoke for uh, on behalf of Rock Tape. Love being there because it's probably one of the most receptive audiences I ever get because a lot of the massage therapists really just want to understand how do I use what you got? Mm-hmm. Right. How do I take how does these it apply tools to me? and I throw what, why do I use them? Why would I use them? What's, what's the benefit to my practice in using yeah. these tools? And that's really, and it, it's not a marketing ploy for me. It's really just a matter of demystifying taping. Like what the heck's going on and why are we doing what we do and what can we do with tape to really kind of give you a better outcome for your patient? That's the goal with this. Mm-hmm. I really hope that uh, the conference can be live. So do I. Mark's first time speaking at the conference was fall of 2019. And so I attended with him. We had the best weekend. It was like such a positive atmosphere. Like you said, everybody was just like so happy to be there. We sat in on as many um, as many talks as we could when mm-hmm. he wasn't presenting. It was so great. And then the very next year, COVID. And we're yeah. like, fuck, like it was so good. I yeah, I love it. I love being there. I, I usually am with uh, one of our distributors, Vitality Depot. I work really right. closely with them and they're so supportive of everything we do and that I've been doing. So I always get there and it's just kind of a, a celebration of some of the stuff that we're going to get to reinforce in that population. I love that conference. It's one of the best conferences to speak at. What do you feel, because there's a lot of backlash for that conference from the hardcore evidence-based people that say this conference pushes a lot of pseudoscience, blah, 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 blah. The whole idea about pseudoscience. So look, we we start off our courses talking about an evidence-informed practice. Mm-hmm. And we go into that in detail, but I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Look, I come from a research background. My grad work was in biomechanics. Right. It doesn't get more research-driven than that. Yep. So I'm not suggesting that we look past it. But I would argue that if you stay in that that lane and your only lens is through peer-reviewed research, I think you're going to miss some opportunities to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Do we have all the answers about what happens when you tape someone? Do we have all the answers about what happens when we put our cups on someone? We're going to put together a theory that I think is very sound. And there is enough research now to begin to support a lot of what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Do we have all the answers? Absolutely not. But I always look at the evidence and form model through kind of three parameters. Good research, mm-hmm. which I'm going to be doing for Rock Tape every, all day, every day, as long as I'm with the company. Right. I'm a research guy. But I think a lot of good evidence comes from how did my patient respond to treatment mm-hmm. and Clinical what the heck did I see? Mm-hmm. So I treated an NFL player uh, two summers ago. They called me and I went down to treat him. And I did some soft tissue work and tools. And a lot of the staff there were very hesitant because they saw tape and they saw it's it's all just placebo. Mm. I did a meta-analysis and I said, well, you can find anything in a meta-analysis to do this. And it depends on how you define a placebo. If I'm using tape as a way to change the threat in the at the level of this of the brain and the body has a better sense of safety, you're probably going to see improved movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the the athlete I was treating looked at me and said, I don't care what they say because I know when I have the tape on and after you do the work with the actual tool itself, yep. I feel like I move better. Now, do I have a, a research study to suggest that I have all the answers to that particular scenario? No. But I would argue that evidence is as sound as any evidence I'm going to take from any research study. I mm-hmm. think it's a matter of looking at the research and see what happens when, when I 
work with a client. Mm -hmm. I'm not about to deny my client access to good treatment or potentially what a good strategy might be for them simply because I don't have a research study to say yes or no. I think that's a very, very faulty way to look at this. Yeah, it is definitely, like you said, viewing it through just one very narrow lens. Guaranteed. And um, I don't have... I don't have a problem with something being placebo. Neither do I, because I think it depends on how you de- define placebo. I'm and if good we're talking, with placebo. And if we're talking about the nervous system, too, 100%. there's a blurred line. Is it placebo? We don't know. And the other thing is placebo, the word itself floats all around science. It's, it's scientific. It is, it, it is a thing. It is a scientific thing. So um, I don't, I, I understand, you know, people who are very evidence focused and I respect that people who want an evidence informed practice, I think that we all should be moving in As that direction. I. Um, I, I have a concern with the ones who are very critical of the conference though, because of the quote pseudoscience that it's pushing, because um, I noticed some conversation happening, you know, the conference is now expanding and bringing in more people who are a little more evidence informed. And, you know, one of the, one of the um, organizers of the conference has, has said himself that he's been shifting the way that he practices because of all of these new people that are getting involved, like the, the, the number of presenters this year is incredible. I don't know. I just saw it come up on my Facebook because yep. I'm in all of the groups and I see, you know, all of these people that are going to be speaking at this conference. And I feel like there's a lot more variety, a lot more diversity. And you've got, you know, very hardcore evidence-based people. You've also got some people that maybe aren't as hardcore evidence-based. And I don't know why we can't have space for all of them. There is space but, for all of them. But my issue with it the people who conference. are being very critical is now that the conference is making a shift and including more evidence-informed people, the critics haven't stopped. They're like, why are the evidence-informed people supporting this? I'm like, what? It's you, crazy you asked, you asked, they're delivering, and, and now you have a problem. Just, just, <laughs> just for the record, these quote-unquote evidence-informed presenters, they used to do work with the conferences like, way back when, yeah. right? So it's Absolutely. not it's not like this is something new either, right? But yeah, yeah. it's it's like almost like they're in a no-win situation. It is a no-win situation. With this one group of with people, this, yeah. which is not really reflective of the, the mass population of massage therapists in this province anyway. No, I think most RMTs and any manual manual therapists, I think all of us understand that evidence informed is important, but also clinical outcomes are important. And your observations, you as the clinic, you've been here 30 years. Especially though, when you're dealing with athletes, when your job is to perform as best as you can and be in the best physical conditioning that you can possibly be. And you're okay with not shaving or changing your underwear. Exactly. I don't give a (laughs) shit what makes me perform better as long as I perform better. Right. But it's a little different than things that happen that I don't think you could quantify. I work with the judo team and the the track and field team. We, as Rock Tape, are very much invested in that high-performance environment. I work with national judo athletes, and we can do something as subtle as use a bit of tape or or a tool to to cue diaphragmatic breathing, Mm -hmm. to cue diaphragmatic function. Now, am I going to present a research study that lays out exactly what happened and exactly how I quantify the effect? All that person knows is they have a better sense and a better awareness of their ability to control rotation. Mm. So it, uh, the judo athlete doesn't care. Yep. I'm not saying I don't care. I think evidence and an evidence-informed practice is incredibly important. And one of my roles with Rock Tape is to look at where we can begin to derive more evidence from these peer-reviewed studies. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to Nipissing and we're going to do we're going to use tape to assess how we can affect changes in gait by just simply changing haptic input. Mm. If we improve sensory input, can we modify motor output? 
And so if by taping certain sectors of the body, can we improve gait? I can't tell you that I have an answer to that, but we're right. going to pursue it. But I do know this, that I have patients who are in their 70s and 80s, a lot of retired teachers who golf, and I'll tape them and they will say to me, the change in my work capacity or my movement competency, whatever that means to them, mm -hmm. has changed. They are very comfortable with that as being evidence. For them as patients and as athletes and fitness enthusiasts, we do it all the time. I'll tape someone or I'll work on them. I'll use cups or floss and they'll get off the table and say, I don't know what you did, but I just feel different. I'm going to assign some value to that, whether the research people, the evidence-informed group see it as valid or not. Mm -hmm. I'm, going to I'm going to assign value to that every time clinically because I think if I make a change, it's a change for the better. Mm. I agree. Nice. Okay. Sorry, I, got on a, I got on no, a tangent. No, I want no. you, I want you to perfect. rant. I like, I like it. That. Yeah, but I rant I, a lot. I love when a client gets off the table or when they come in and they say, whatever you did last time, I don't know what you did, <laughs> but you know the, the woman who just left when you were coming in, Brad, right. when she... Um, when she first came in, she said to me, whatever you did to my hamstring last week, I don't know what you did. She goes, but I was able to run the next day. And she's been, you know, slowly trying to get back into running because she's had some injury. And she said, I was able to run. I don't know what you did. And I was like, well, I better go look at my notes because I don't know what I did. <laughs> but doesn't that, that happens all the time though, because you get it, you get in, a, again, you get in that kind of lane doing what you know is going to work. Yeah. And sometimes you're not just going to quantify every piece of that puzzle. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how we look at this with rock tape. So it's. That's really cool. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Have you ever used rock tape? No. Why don't you tell us about rock tape a little bit? Why don't you tell us what's different about rock tape sure. than uh, some of the other taping applications? So I will get you guys tape. I brought lots of tape for you. Cool. Sweet. So you're gonna have tape, and and I'll come in and do a little in service. How about how about we change shirts? How about that? I, hey, I have a shirt for you. Shirts are on the way. I'll have, I, if you want to wear one of my hey, man, rock I'm tape like shirts, the, I am in. I'm like the I'm guy at the airport. Sure. Did you guys see my face when he was telling that story? I'm like, I don't like, I I don't know how to respond to that. Like, I, a stranger just asks yeah. you, like, hey, my, can we my, switch shirts? My question please? is that it all depends on the type of deodorant you're wearing right now. Because if it's something that's not up to speed with me, then forget it. These rock tape shirts are the best branding we've ever done. These have become like, the, the, really the treasure that we assign to our courses because everyone gets a shirt. Mm. But I hope it's more than that for most people. So I, I think what you'll find with rock tape is there is a difference in the tape. It feels different. It stays on longer. And I always describe it this way. If my goal is to attach some significance and change that sensory input in a way that sustainably makes changes at a, at a cortical level and my motor output is improved, if the tape doesn't stay on, I don't see the point. Hmm. So with rock right. tape, what you're going to find is I would argue all kinesiology tape has basically the same quality, right. right? It's stretchy in one direction. And if I put it on correctly, I'm going to create input to this neurofascial system, highly sensory system, that's really going to change the information the brain gets. And that's the hope that, that we bring to the table when we put tape on. So when we put tape on, rock tape is going to stay on for a period of time. So the beauty of that is it's going to stay on long enough for me to, again, incorporate exercise. Over three to five days, mm. the tape is going to adhere to the skin. 
you get very little, if any, type of skin irritation from taping nice. when we put rock tape on, but there's a way to tape it. But our model is a little different in the sense that we look at more global patterning when we tape and we look at how we're affecting the nervous system. The original tape models were based on this idea that you had to be in a certain position, you had to stretch it this much, you had to go origin to insertion, right. insertion to origin. I can tell you that although I understand where they're coming from, there's not enough evidence or research to suggest that that's the effect. I, the, I think the effect is more subtle by way of application to skin and fascia. Mm -hmm. You change how fascia layers slide. You create a decompressive effect on those underlying tissues. And the stuff from Myers is really clear. I mean, that, that sliding zone of fascia is where the most density of proprioceptors exist. Mm -hmm. If I create a better separation and a better capacity just by tape application of that slide and glide mechanism, mm -hmm. I think what you're going to find is I'm going to clarify that sensory message coming in and I'm going to get more on the way out. Mm. So really at rock tape, we look at taping. And again, what's unique about it, I would argue, is the tape is a bit a different feel to it, a different density. It, the adhesive is fantastic. It will sustain itself through all, through anything and everything. And in the end, if the goal is to keep it on and change how we function and how we move, then I would argue that's the benefit. Hopefully that's kind of a quick synopsis of rock tape. Yeah, it's hard for, I, I don't use kinesiology yeah. tape. I haven't really used it in my practice. I mean, Mark teaches athletic taping, which is completely different. Yeah, yeah. So different we, premise. Yeah, Absolutely. so um, I don't know enough about kinesiology taping to to even know what I would use it for. Like you said, I would be the person at the conference saying, okay, how do I incorporate this into my practice? What do I do? But your explanation made a lot of sense though, because I mean, I do cupping. So I understand that idea of creating the space and the fascial glide. And I'm like, okay, it's, I'm getting there. And that's my job with rock tape. I, I always, everyone says kind of, what do you do for rock tape? And I always describe it as this. My job is to go into a clinical marketplace or an or a team marketplace and demystify this demystify taping, explain just from a basic standpoint, what we believe is happening when you put tape on and really what the mechanism is. We've done a, a lot more good research because we now have uh, ultrasound diagnostics showing be, uh, pre and post taping application. And you can see a significant change in that fascial space or fascial distance. So if that's all we're doing is changing some of that natural synergy between those fascial layers, I think that's going to have significant effect, a significant effect on what happens on the other side, whether it's a movement strategy we assign or they just feel better about moving. All you fascial geeks, I think you need to take some rock tape courses. No, Lord, <laughs> you are, I am a fascial geek. This is everything. But I told a story in the weekend. I when I took um, when I took my degree. I did my degree at Ottawa U. We had a prof. I remember going into a cadaver lab and the fascial system and the fascial layers had just been torn off. Yep. He said, oh, it's just webbing. It's not that important. It's just kind of what encases the system. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, I did a course at Queens and it was a fascial dissection course with an osteopath. They leave the entire fascial net intact on the cadaver. Mm. We took Meyer's book in and I'm going to tell you, he nailed it. Mm. Those layers are not theoretical. You pull in the foot and you see contralateral changes in shoulder position. Those fascial lines are predictable. Those fascial lines are tensioned. And, and I argue that tension or dysfunction in one area is going to link tension somewhere else or dysfunction. Mm. This is not regional. And you see that clinically. 100%. Like, that's very, but again, I mean, without I've never been in a cadaver lab where I got to actually see the fascial system and see it doing what it's doing. But 
clinically, it makes a lot of sense. But you see it though. You see sure. it. You know what? We should we should ask University of Guelph to do stuff like this for us. Yeah, that would be really cool. We 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 take we take a whole bunch of massage therapists to their cadaver lab, to the human anatomy lab, and they've offered to create specimens for us, very specific for massage therapy. And you've just given me the idea to. Let's, yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah. Because of COVID, we're still waiting for when their lab reopens. Yeah, Queens, I hopefully the guy at Queens offers the course again. It was probably one of the best. It was a full day and we just had access to the cadavers. Again, they had left everything intact. And we just started to drag on layers and look at these fascial areas of fascial densification, how they were just these dense, heavy areas mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. these fascial lines. And you wonder why it, there's a referral, this network is is affected. Mm-hmm. And so when we looked at the fascial system in that context, that kind of changed everything that I was looking at. I really had a different idea about really what this system meant. So again, I'm a fascial nerd about mm-hmm. this. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in the Fascial Congress. I've listened to every single piece of that. And and Robert Schleip, the Steckos, uh, Thomas Myers, they have really started to bring some, shed some light on how significant this system is. I don't think we understand it fully. No, so that's That's not. the nerd part in me about the fascial stuff. Well, and it's crazy to think, you know, just when you went to university, so really not that long ago, it was normal. You go into a cadaver. It's just webbing. Let's just throw that out the window. We don't need to talk about that. No big deal. Yep. But it was even the same. I mean, I, we, I talked about this on the weekend, about the whole concept of neuroplasticity and how this, this nervous system is highly adaptable. If we can modify input and really give the information, some new information to the system, we have the ability to adapt and adapt very cleanly to better information if we clean up the message. So the idea of neuroplasticity was the same thing. I had a prof tell us, oh, at age 14 or 15, you're basically hardwired. Hmm. We have to know that that's not true. I mean, our, our ability to adapt over time definitely is something that we hold on to. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, as we age, does it become harder to do it? Of course it does. We're not as resilient. But the idea is that this whole idea of neuroplasticity is is a critical piece of the puzzle. And I think that really defines a lot of what we do with, with our tape applications. We talk a lot about adaptation at the level of the, uh, at the, of the nervous system and how we can modify that. So I think there's a lot of conversations around fascia around neuroplasticity that really drive a lot of our philosophy at Rock Tape. And we look at it through more through that kind of axis or lens than it is just putting tape and mechanically changing anything. Because I'm not sure that's really what's happening. I think there's a lot more going on. We start to tap into the system. And this is coming from someone whose graduate studies are in biomechanics. So, (laughs) And that's the shift. That's exactly where this has shifted for me. I came from a very mechanical construct. Muscle attaches here, movement occurs under those constraints. Mm-hmm. The reality is every piece of the system, I mean, fascia is the matrix of the system. It's life matrix and everything's embedded in it. And so the idea that this is somehow not significant doesn't even make sense to me anymore. Right. It might be the most significant glue in the system. And so if we look at it from that perspective, I think we start to see what we do as manual therapists differently. I start, I think we start to see what we do with, again, our tools differently. And that's the hope. I mean, so do we see it differently? When you sit into a massage therapy program <laughs> and you're rolling in with all of this shit in your head and you're, and you're, and you're in a lecture and it's not really up to speed with what you're doing, what it, what's going on in there? Well, it was still important for me to see it 
from that side of the, the massage therapy side. I mean, I've been doing ART and all of these other strategies, but it's really important that I understand some of the constructs like, for, for example, massage therapy. Like you get to do a massage therapy oral practical exam. Right. And you're like, fuck, I just really, like I can do all of this other stuff here, but I know you're not going to have an idea of what I'm doing. Or you might have some sort of idea, but you can't really grade me on this stuff because this is stuff that we really not, like how, like I can imagine just doing an oral practical exam must be fucking frustrating. I guess it would be. I mean, I know what we have to do. I My goal is ultimately to step into a practice and as an RMT, be able to take all this stuff that I'm already doing and just layer it in. Yeah. I know what the expectations are. And certainly th- there's a lot of things that I knew pretty well by the time I stepped into that into that situation at right, massage right, right, therapy right. school. But I also know that I've I've learned quite a bit. I've been around some people that see it differently. Yeah. Look, I want to be in environments all day, every day where I'm learning from other people. I mean, the idea that I have kind of a, the, the, uh, the gold standard here mm. for information is simply not the case. I think I've been exposed to some incredibly smart people and I've yeah. been able to capitalize on that. But there's a lot of people that I met in massage therapy school. I had a, an entire class of chiropractors. Nice. We were in an advanced standing program. So we were all of these individuals who had enough experience in manual therapy and putting mm-hmm. our hands on people. So it was just a great learning strategy mm-hmm. for me in a learning environment. So I learned a ton and I'm just going to step away from it. I'll have, I might have a different view on how I practice as a massage therapist, but it will have a lot to do with the experience I bring into it as a result. So We have to be controversial because that's what we do. Do you think <laughs> massage therapy education needs a facelift? Do you Ooh. think that we are teaching the upcoming RMTs it, stuff that is maybe out of date and it it needs to be adapted. See, like before you answer that, like I I go all over the map on this. Sometimes I'm like, fuck, it's horrible. Then sometimes I'm like, maybe it's just right for what massage is supposed to be. And everyone that's doing something different or above and beyond that is doing above and beyond what massage therapy is all about. So, I mean, but I flip on these ideas like like a fucking fart in the wind. Like I changed my mind. (laughs) By the way, I've always hated that saying. Something about that just grosses me out. Well, because it's a fart in the wind. Um, I want to hear from somebody like you've got, you've got the the experience you've been in the field for so long you've got the other education you know you've got the kinesiology background like when you were actually in school do you think you know if i was somebody maybe just coming out of high school and i wanted to go into this profession do you think the education that we're getting is sufficient or do you think maybe that needs to be looked at because there's always that debate in the massage world i look at it as foundational if i had a high school student that was stepping into massage therapy they're going to have to learn wh- what we know are the basics they're going to have to mm-hmm. understand enough about anatomy to mm-hmm. be functional mm-hmm. they're going to have to know enough about the basics the basic physiology of the system and treatment ideas and treatment protocols and all the standards by which we practice and operate. I think the missing link is the idea that whether it occurs in the context of them becoming an RMT or what continuing education looks like, Mm -hmm. I think that's the practical piece. You build a great foundation and then you layer what you want on it. Mm-hmm. And so again, I think with rock tape for me, that's really my role in the massage therapy world is to really just add to your toolbox. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're all, we're all doing really cool stuff. We're doing some stuff with our hands that make great changes, really make it give someone an outcome that's viable. Mm -hmm. Can we use some of these tools to add to it? I would say that my massage therapy experience and the education was good. It reinforced a lot of what I already know. Mm -hmm. I think the real test is what's going to happen next. Right. You know, what am I going to get from this? When you guys offer courses, I think the courses that you offer and that we offer simply just build on that foundation and that was kind of look at it that way. Yeah. yeah. And that was our goal as well is yeah, for sure. looking at, you know, they've got, so you know how Mark said he sort of goes back and forth where this is just enough. I actually do think the education that I received when I went to massage school was the foundation. I learned anatomy. I mean, yes, I already had a, a kinesiology degree, so a lot of it was review. But if I if I had no background, I learned enough anatomy and enough physiology, and I learned the techniques, and you know, I understood goals of treatment and what you know, I understood pathology and how to assess someone, and you know. But then, as you said, then there's the building blocks, the continuing education. So I think the basic training is just that. It's the basic. Mm -hmm. um, the facelift piece might be that maybe we need to change a little bit about um, the language. That seems to be something that circles a lot, you know, how we communicate with our clients. And maybe they have. It's, I mean, I went to massage school 12 years ago, so I don't know what it's like now, but maybe the language. And um Maybe fascia needs to be a more important component I of would training. Agree. You're going to talk to the fascia guy. I would say <laughs> that that looking at it through, again, through the idea that, that fascial system and the neurology of the system is really something that we underestimate. Mm -hmm. I would argue maybe that becomes a bigger part of what we do. But I came out as a kinesiologist and I thought I knew everything. Yep. And then I spent a lot of time with Charles Poliquin and I realized, holy shit, I don't know anything. <laughs> I know nothing right now. I almost feel like for, for massage therapy education to cover all those things, it needs to be longer or there needs to be some sort of prerequisite for it. Because I can't teach you basic anatomy, physiology, pathology, and then all of this other shit. You know what I mean? So if you're rolling in with all of this stuff already done, then we can already tackle all this or other maybe stuff. We or just it's, adapt, it needs to be three or years Or we maybe just adapt what's already there. I, I wouldn't argue saying that, you know, making it longer would necessarily be a bad thing. Making it longer would be a great thing. That way it's not just foundational when you finish. Right. Right. That would be the ideal scenario in my mind. I have to agree. Yeah. I, I think that would potentially be the best way to transition from where it is now great foundation. And then over the course of, let's say three years, four years, whatever it takes, build a lot more of this nuance into the education. Mm -hmm. yep. Because again, when I go to the massage therapy conference, it, it's not that I'm surprised, but a lot of people don't know enough about mm -hmm. a lot of the philosophy we extend to them, whether it be taping theory, whatever. And so when I go into these rants about fascia and about neuroplasticity, it, for a lot of people, it is relatively new information, yep. which, right. which I'm cool with. That's what yep. education's about. And mm -hmm. that's our goal is to deliver that. But the more they understand, I think the more it would create some changes in, in maybe how they perceive what they do treatment wise or how they approach treatment. Right. I think it might change it. You ready to rewrite massage therapy curriculum? <laughs> Am I? No, fuck no. I do continuing education. And that's why I said I'm I'm somewhat on the side of I don't think that, you know, like I'm not one of the people that thinks like, oh, I was lied to and massage education is shit. I think there could be improvements. 
a hundred percent. I want a school to do this. I want one of these private career colleges to say, you know what, fuck it. We understand what the competencies are and we're going to go above and beyond. And our program is going to be this now. This program at this school is going to be three years and you're going to get all this additional stuff that you don't get somewhere else. And you're going to come out just not, not just foundational. And I wonder what that would look like for them. I love Very that. Very prestigious. Idea. I, that want, I, a, I want a school to. Buck, <laughs> I want that. I'm going to go to that school. I want a school that, to buck up and brilliant. say, you know what, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to create a differential advantage for us. But not only that, we're going to be the people to, to take the first step in saying, no one's forcing us to make this education differently or or bring it up a level, oh but we're goodness. just going you're, to do it. You're creating like the Juilliard of massage schools. I love this. Because I, so good. I'm not a fan of just waiting for shit to happen. You want something to happen, just fucking do it. Well, which is what we're doing, which is what Rock Tape's doing. Yes. You know, when we started Con Ed, I remember the two of us sitting in our shitty 700 square foot apartment in midtown Toronto talking about how we love to teach, but we both hated actually working at the college. We didn't like teaching informal massage education, not because, you know, we don't want to work with, you know, the brand new people, but it was like, it it was very restrictive, right? Like this is the curriculum. These are the, comp- this is what you have to teach. There's a part of me that liked that because, okay, these are the people that I can, you know, really make an impact on and, you know, teach them actually what this profession is like, but we wanted to have a little bit more freedom. So we're sitting in our shitty apartment and we're like, what do we want to do? And we both kind of agreed. We want to look at what's missing from the massage curriculum. Like you've got the foundation, what's missing? To be a great therapist, what do you need? And we started with where are the holes? So where can we build on? And that's how we started with um, teaching business. Mm -hmm. There's a hole. Then it went to joint mobilization. Such an awesome tool that is underutilized because it's just not taught in enough detail. I would t- I would absolutely agree. Right. So joint mobilizations was the second course. Then it was Exercise assessments. Courses. Assessments. It was Exercise. assessments was yeah. third, right? Yeah. yeah. But it was assessments because it's like sure, we're taught what 100 assessments in school, but there's no context, right? Yeah. It's this is this is how you do this assessment and this is what a positive is and you're like Okay. And not even that. You're not even <laughs> understanding the, the mechanics and the mechanisms of right. the test. You don't even know right. why. Why am I pushing, why why am am I I pushing doing the arm this? in this position and doing this to the to the shoulder to get this result? Like You don't even understand why. So My yeah. wife is going to love this because she did the same thing. She's been doing massage therapy for 30 years. When mm-hmm. I was did my grad work, she did it in the US. Mm. Came back here and they wanted her to start from scratch. And she said, no way. She had just finished working on Maria Matola, who was a gold medalist in the 96 games. Mm. We were in Tennessee at the time. So the reality is she said exactly that. She said, I wish they could create context. She hadn't done a lot of assessments when we went back to school. Right. I've been doing screens and assessments for 30 years, but she didn't have any context for it. She said, it, it's all just mechanical. Like, what, what do I do now with it? Mm-hmm. Right. So the, what, you're, what you're describing, fill in those holes, is I would say that's exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, they understand it, yep. but you have to contextualize why you're doing something. And, and again, I come back to rock tape. We, I think we've done a very good job that way. We bring people into a room and we give them information that I think just connects the dots for them with regards to how they can use our product and how it's going to change their practice. What's great about the last, I would say the last six years, when I started teaching for Rock Tape, I'd go in a room and there was a group of massage therapists in a corner, then all the physios, then mm. all the chiros, and then the, and, and no one ever mingled. <laughs> no one ever talked. It was just these silos of people. And I was like, oh my God. And it was frustrating at times. But I'm going to tell you in the last five years, this is the one thing that's changed that I absolutely love about this. I'll go into a room and last time I taught in Toronto, I had 
a Cairo, two physios, and a yoga instructor in one group. And they're all just throwing stuff at each other and learning from each other. Oh, love That's it. the mechanism. Yeah. The idea that you can create a curriculum that kind of connects the dots for everyone and connects professions. Mm -hmm. So you take them out of the silo and create what I would describe as a more cohesive kind of expectation. Because I say this all the time, the one thing that binds all of us is massage therapists, chiros, strength coach, you name it, yoga. We're all trying to get to a point where people are going to move more efficiently, mm -hmm. move optimally. Because if you move better, you're going to feel better. So that's a reality. I mean, it's a quality of life mechanism. And if, if, if all that we do as professionals is we get them to that point, we all get there differently, mm -hmm. but I think we all have the same goal. Yep. And we so do. I really like that as a, as a, as a foundation for what we do, because when we bring a bunch of people in the room, that's been the best shift in our education. Cause now I have a yoga instructor working with a chiropractor and they're trying to figure out how they can meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's one of the best things that's happened that's, in our That's courses. why I love our courses that happen that way too. The best classes that we ever have are when we have the Cairo in here with the physio, with the AT, yeah. with the manual osteopathic practitioner, with the RMT. And then those weekends of those, those courses are fucking phenomenal. I'm like, I wish it could be like this all the time. Right. And <laughs> I learn as much from them. I mean, I learn as much from yeah. the room as yeah. they're going to learn from me. Absolutely. Because I, I don't have the perspective of a yoga instructor. She's going to see movement in a much different way than I see it, yep. as does the Cairo who's, you know, he's been taught this. So it's really been positive for us as a company. I think it's been cool. There's a project that we were actually working on that we were good. COVID really messed things up because well, it, we wanted to also, launch it earlier yeah. this year, but we're still looking at doing something kind of in the middle of the year, bringing a whole bunch of different diff disciplines together. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still excited. It's going it. to be really fun. And, you know, uh, just like what Mark said, when we teach courses and we have a whole bunch of different practitioners who, you know, even at different parts of their career, you know, the last time that I taught cupping, I had, you know, a physio who had just gotten out into practice. I had a kin that had been in practice for three years. I had a couple of RMT, like just all of these different, um, these different designations. And it was really interesting watching the physios watching the RMTs yes, and what they were doing. Yes. They're like, huh. I wouldn't have done that that but interesting 100%. and then watching the kin watch the physio she's like How, why did you do that and I was like this is just brilliant that is so good yeah I wanted I, to complete your circle yeah. by the way you said and when you and when you uh, move better you feel better and when you feel better you move better 100 <laughs> so we have an instructor Danny Percelli in uh Florida. And he uses that moniker all the time in, yeah. in our courses. Because mm. again, we're a movement company. It's all about that. But I was with an NFL team. I was working with the staff and the older staff weren't as receptive to what we were doing with tape and cupping. It's really outside of their purview because they've been in this very mechanical construct. Right. right? But it was funny, all the interns who were 20 something were like, like falling over me to get me to stay there and show them what to do. Mm. Because they brought, I think, a different perspective to the table and they were a little more amenable to the idea that maybe all the stuff we're doing right now isn't the best situation for us or all. the best yeah. tool. Yeah. So they, it doesn't mean what they were doing was wrong. It just simply means, do we add a nuance to that that makes them better? Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I kind of see us uh, in our delivery and our education. It's going to add something, layer in a tool that may Monday morning just give you an edge, mm. give you the ability to get a, a foot up or a leg up on what 
is going on with that patient, whether it's a pain issue or a movement problem. I like this too, um, adding new tools and taking new courses, because being in this type of profession, if you're not doing continuing education, I hear it from a lot of practitioners, you end up becoming very complacent. You know, we had somebody hire us to come to our clinic and she's like, I feel like I do the same treatment over and over. But you do get in that mold though. That happens. I mean, you kind of stay with what works and and what's safe and what you're comfortable with. Good on her for 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 being self-aware. Yeah, that was really for sure. I I think I want to I think I want to go about things a little bit differently. Let me see some different ideas. Yeah, that was cool. And plus we had fun. We got to drive out to her clinic and I was just a body for a few hours while Mark showed her some different things. It was really fun. That's awesome. (laughs) That's so cool. We're doing that here tonight. Some dude that took a course on this before, he's like, Do you do one on one training, coaching? And I'm like, Yeah, sure, come on by. And he he was telling me what he wants to do. I'm like, let's do this. Let's not treat this as a course. I'm not charging you for anything. Come in. You and I will hang out. We'll trade some ideas and it'll, it'll be a good time. I'll, I'll I'll open this up to see what other therapists want to come into and uh, let's just have a, a good Friday evening. And he it. wants to talk fascia. <laughs> good for you. But that's, I love this because your education model is very much aligned with ours. Yeah, yeah. It's really about just a culture around yes. what we're delivering. It's not something, again, I'm, I always describe it as death by PowerPoint. Like we have tons and tons of PowerPoint slides and I love it. I mean, we have a a brain trust that creates these great resources for us. But I say to everyone, look, the only way that it's ever going to matter is if I provide context. Mm. I really give you a sense that Monday morning, whatever I told you is going to have some practical efficacy for you. You're going to be able to use it. And if that's all we do with our courses and you guys sound like you're doing the same thing, that's the key piece. People want to walk in Monday morning and have some confidence in their skill set. Yep. And if you add three things to their toolbox that makes a difference, that's a win every time for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. I really see it that I way. I took the uh, pelvic health course here because this is one that Mark and I don't teach. It's taught by pelvic floor physios, right? Which makes sense because right. why am I teaching people about pelvic health? And so I decided... I'm actually going to take the course. And I took it. And I remember when um, I went back into treatment on Tuesday. So I took the course on a Saturday, Sunday. I went into my first treatment on Tuesday. And I was like, I learned some cool shit. Can I try this on you? I just learned some really cool stuff. Let's do this. That's such a great conversation to have yeah. with someone. I learned some new stuff. You're my, you're the one you're I'm going to throw Let's it at. do this. That's so good. I love that model. You know, he's a super nerd. He's like a high school teacher as well, by the way. I am. You're a high school teacher? Yeah. So my, I've had this really kind of dichotomous experience. I've been in the clinical and high performance world. So I was 22. I was training NHL players. I was really lucky. I'm from Lindsay and I had all these amazing athletes come out of that area. Football players, Jeff Bukaboom, played for the New York Rangers, Carl Coulter, uh, Rob Doyle played in the Olympics, uh, hockey. So all of these guys I grew up with came to me and said, hey, can you train me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So it was a simple opportunity for me. Um, and from that point forward, I've just, again, organically moved into this clinical setting. But on the other side, my day job is I've been a high school teacher. So I've been, this is my 30th, this is my 30th year and I retire next year. So it's, you know what it's been, but again, I've honed my teaching craft. I mean, I, I, we have this conversation with rock tape all the time where I said, oh, the delivery you gave was great. And the course was awesome. And I said, do you understand that you guys just gave me the resources, put me in a room full of motivated professionals and let me talk? Yeah. (laughs) 
try teaching trig in a general math class in high school and tell me if you don't perfect your craft. This is the easy shit. Yep. Being in a high school class and having to manage that, I really perfected my craft as an educator because that's really, you don't have a choice. You get in first yep. day and you're thrown to the wolves and you better have, you better be good on your feet. Like actual wolves. We're talking you, high school. Yeah. yeah. You, He's got you fucking gotta know Spicoli it. sitting in the back 100%. of the class. <laughs> I've had some crazy classes, but it, it really primed me for this opportunity with rock tape. Look, I can step into a room now and I can teach to anyone because I've, I've taken some shots along the way. So it's been, it's been a great career. I mean, I'm, I'm 56. I'm going to retire next year. I'm going to continue with rock tape and I'm moving into this next phase of my career as an RMT nice. and I'm just going to build on everything I've been doing for 30 years and just enjoy myself. There's a lot of stuff so I want to do. So he can keep working, but not working because this isn't this work. Isn't work. Right. This isn't the really snowshoeing work. is more work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's probably more work. Absolutely. I got to take you snowshoeing. No, no, let's go, no, let's no, go to no, Lindsay. No, I'm not going snowshoeing. <laughs> Anytime. I'm not going snowshoeing. No sweat. When's the, when's the next course happening for you? So we have courses coming up. I teach. Um, so then the other thing that we're very closely aligned. The company that now owns us also owns Trigger Point. So I'm teaching a basically a mobility course that uses rollers and all the Trigger Point kind of foundation. So I teach that, I think in March, and then everything moves forward from there. I've got taping courses. I teach all the taping courses and uh, pods and floss and all the other instructors in Canada are just absolutely dialed in. Right so there's really good core people and just check us out. You can go to rocktape.ca and you'll see an education uh, tab. Go in there. You can check out all of the courses. You can learn about every course that we teach. You can learn about the instructors yep. and, and just find something that's going to work for you. But again, you're going to see something different. And my hope is always that you look past that mechanical piece of what we do with tape or pods or whatever. Yep. And, and you'll see our philosophy is different. It's really about this kind of sensory system and how we can tap into this wonderful sensory system to affect change. Wow. But not throwing mechanics totally out the window. Not at all. Not at all. I'm still a biomechanics guy. I had to throw that in there. I had to throw that in there because like, you know, like we've talked about a few times, there seems to always be a, a black and white. No, what we do is all in the gray. Look, I all look at it as ex gray. absolutely. It's a continuum. I, I mean, I, I thrive on the biomechanics piece. That's what I did my grad work in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also know there's a there's something on the other end of that spectrum, and I want to work everywhere in between. Yeah, nice. and and make sure that I I give everyone or anyone that I treat or train the best opportunity to move better. That's right really my focus. I dig it. Super cool. If uh, anyone wants to get in contact with you, whether they want to know about the courses, they want to pick your brain, or they just wanted to go snowshoeing with you. <laughs> to, <laughs> well, I don't know about the snowshoeing piece. If, but you, if you want, you can uh, throw out some contact info. Yeah, man. They can check us out at rocktape.ca. That's available to anyone, everyone online all the time. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram. I My handle is the movement mojo. Um, and it's like just that. all about movement and good treatment and good training and good movement strategies. And that's what we hope to build. It's kind of the same culture as rock tape. So I'm just kind of springboarding off the company I work for. Right on. I dig it. Super cool. Thanks for coming and hanging out on yeah, our couch. Fun. My pleasure. This was fantastic. Right on. This is good. I appreciate the time. Let's, let's do it again. We, there's, I can always talk. I've always got lots of stuff to talk about. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.